When saving lives is what you do, your standards are anything but standard. In fact, you set them higher than most to deliver results that patients can depend on. You refuse to compromise. We couldn't agree more. We are Edwards Life Sciences, and like you, we believe that good is never good enough. Rising to the challenge of today's TAVR patients isn't just a mission, it's a commitment. And because you set a higher standard, we set our sights on meeting you there. Welcome to the higher standard, your standard. Learn more at edwardstaver.com. Welcome to Parallax by Anka Kalra, a podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology and the best from the US Cardiology Review. Published every second Monday, Anka Kalra, MD, interventional cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, USA, speaks with legendary cardiologists, reviews late-breaking trials, and interviews authors of our latest and best US Cardiology Review articles. We call them hashtag audio articles. Parallax is the effect whereby the position or direction of an object appears to differ when viewed from different positions. So this podcast is your fix of reliable updates on all things cardiology by someone from a non-traditional background who is always looking at the industry from a new angle. Now, here's your host, Anka Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to 2021. Um, you know, I, I just hope, uh, well, everyone at Parallax hope hopes that this is a much better year than what was 2020 for, for a lot of us, for the entire globe and for the uh, community of, uh, you know, healthcare professionals and, and medical professionals and, and, you know, cardiovascular professionals, uh, you know, all of us have, have been through some tremendously trying times, uh, you know, trying to uphold, um, you know, science and evidence and, and its values. Um, you know, I, I know in the U.S. it has become a political a statement more than anything else, unfortunately. Um, but I, I hope that um, all of you are well and, and healthy. And the good news is that the vaccines are here. And, um, you know, I've gotten my first shot. And I, I, re I really hope that as and when the vaccines become available to all of us, we should all get vaccinated, uh, you know, while still maintaining uh, social distancing, physical distancing. That's the latter is a better word than social distancing. And obviously continue to, uh, you know, wearing a mask and you know, do our uh, due diligence um, as, uh, you know, beacons of, uh, of science and evidence. Um, so with that, um, this is the second episode of season three. And, uh, you know, I could not be more than happy and delighted to have this very special guest on the show with us. Um, we've been trying to get this uh, recording done for, you know, I would say several several weeks, you know, if not months. And, you know, because of our schedules, it's been a bit of a challenge, but, you know, here we are, it's a late Sunday evening. It's sort of perfect timing to grab hold of, a, of, of any cardiologist, I would say. Uh, so, so with that introduction, my guest on the show today is Dr. Mandeep Mehra. So Dr. Mehra is uh, the William Harvey Distinguished Chair in Advanced Cardiovascular Medicine um, at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. He is the Executive Director of Center for Advanced Heart Disease, um, also at Brigham and Women's Hospital and uh, professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. He's the immediate past editor-in-chief of the Journal of Heart and Lung Transplantation. And, you know, kudos to his work, which he's done for over a decade, 
that the, the journal has actually reached tremendous heights. So, you know, with that introduction, Dr. Merat, welcome on the show and thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you, Ankur. Thanks, first of all, for such a wonderful introduction, not just uh, an introduction of me, but an introduction to our global community and the message that you have continued to espouse from a scientific standpoint. Um, I. I want to applaud you first for uh, doing these podcasts because they offer a welcome distraction uh, to uh, everyone uh, who is challenged by the events, uh, not just uh, related to medicine, but related to the politics of the world, throughout the world. And thank you for um, uh, doing this and thank you for the opportunity to bring me on to your podcast. And I hope that I can uh, serve and bring some value to your listeners. Oh no! I, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, you know. Look, I've, I've, I've had a tremendous respect for uh, for your uh, career and your body of work, and and what you've contributed to the field of cardiovascular medicine. So, you know, from all of us at Parallax, it's uh, it's a pleasure and honor to have you on the show. Um, so, Dr. Mehra, you know, I I usually start uh, my episodes by you know requesting um, or you know asking questions from from our uh, our guests um, you know as to how it all started i mean you know anyone who reads uh, you know your your signature would would be inspired uh, and would want to know more about your journey as to you know how you got to where you are now but you know i know uh, the the journey started in india so why don't you take back to you know where it all started Thank you, Ankur. Uh, well, it actually all started in my grandmother's lap uh, when I was uh, uh, perhaps an infant and unable to synthesize uh, the world. Um, and I recall all the way from uh, being a two to three-year-old uh, that every time I laid down in my grandmother's lap, uh, she would continually rock me on her lap and continue to perhaps push into my mind the idea that I should be a doctor. So when I grew up, uh, I'll be honest with you, I had no career choice. Uh, I always just wanted to be a doctor. And uh, that was it. It was ingrained in me. And when I grew up, I was very drawn to the uh, values uh, of people like uh, Mahatma Gandhi, Rabindranath Tagore, and Mother Teresa. And as I was growing uh, up, um, I wanted to balance uh, those aspirations of learning from these great masters, um, as well as uh, promulgating the field of uh, medicine into my training lexicon. And so I um, uh, was very fortunate in India uh, after I was educated in Bombay and partly in Simla uh, that uh, I applied to a medical school uh, that was part of Nagpur University, but established uh, in Sevagram Ashram, which is Mahatma Gandhi's ashram called Mahatma Gandhi Institute of Medical Sciences. This was a unique school, uh, which uh, is one of uh, the best known schools in the US now in, the, in, in, in various uh, areas, such as the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Hopkins, uh, um, but um, uh, is a, a very unique school which was set up by uh, Mahatma Gandhi at his ashram uh, and in collaboration with people who were trained at Hopkins uh, to bring public health initiatives into India. 
such a visionary uh, idea at that time point. Anyway, I went to this school um, uh, so that I could imbibe not only the values that Gandhi brought, uh, but also to learn medicine. And those were the best uh, years of my formative uh, life. Um, following that, I moved to the United States. So that's how I got into uh, medicine, Ankur, and that was my early influx um, into Indian uh, medicine. Um, wow, I mean, you brought up Simla. So you brought up Mahatma Gandhi, who, who is, uh, you know, someone I, I closely follow um, and, uh, you know, is the guiding light uh, for my nonprofit work that I, that I try to do through my nonprofit organization. You know, this podcast is actually part of the endeavor of the nonprofit organization. Um, you know, but he also brought up Simla and, you know, I went to medical school in Simla at Indira Gandhi Medical Medical College in Simla. Oh, that's wonderful. So, so I went to Bishop Cotton School. Um, that was my um, uh, school until high school and then moved back to Bombay uh, to finish my um, 11th and 12th grades and then went into medical school. Uh, so I, I, I did not realize that you and I have so much in common, Ankur, uh, not only our roots in Simla, but also our uh, roots uh, in value uh, with Mahatma Gandhi. I'll tell you one thing that, uh, uh, you know, uh, when, when I was in uh, school, we had to wear khaki. Um, every day. It was vegetarian uh, food. And um, uh, we had to do shramdan every evening. Shramdan uh, meaning some community service, some form of uh, service back to the community. These were partly uh, the values that Gandhi had espoused. And what I used to love to do was to go and sweep Gandhiji's cottage at Sevagram Ashram in the evenings. And it was perhaps the most therapeutic, meditative uh, uh, time that I would spend, uh, which would clear my mind. In the background, I would hear the hymns that he loved uh, to hear uh, being sung in different uh, areas of the ashram, while I would be cleaning uh, the floor of his uh, cottage and looking at um, uh, the instruments with which uh, this very simple but value-based man uh, launched revolutions. Yeah, I, I actually was uh, almost, uh, so thank, thanks a lot for that vivid description. I actually was almost able to, uh, you know, go back in time and, you know, just visualize you going through those motions. And um, uh, they are sort of relatable because, you know, I, I've, I've grown up with those hymns, you know, the, the hymns that you were referring to. Um, and, um, you know, it sort of, you know, brought goosebumps because, you know, those are, are the values that I still, um, you know, want to seek through, through the work, you know, of my nonprofit, which, which is, is very near and dear to me is a labor of love for me. Uh, but, you know, moving back to your journey. So after, after high school and Bishop Cotton, by the way, is, is, is we, you know, all of us know it to, to date actually is one of the finest, uh, finest schools in India for, for education. So, so you moved back to Bombay for higher education, and then after after med school um, at uh, Mahatma Gandhi Institute of Medical Sciences, you you you, you forwarded into you know advanced training in the U.S. So, where? Um, what happened? Yeah, let me tell you how that happened. So it was all serendipity. So my, my entire life is uh, 
uh, full of serendipity, Ankur. Um, uh, and perhaps um, um, what we call serendipity, uh, others might call opportunity, but uh, I'll tell you how things happen. So my family used to live uh, on an island of the East Coast of Africa called Mauritius, a very, very beautiful uh, island country uh, that has perhaps some of the best beaches um, and is a vacation spot for many people from Europe and from India and from the Middle East. Um, and um, um, when I uh, would go back to my home uh, in Mauritius on vacation, uh, you know, I would meet all sorts of people. And as I was finishing med school, I met a nun who then um, uh, was uh, like a godmother to me, uh, Sister Elizabeth Burns, who came to visit um, Mauritius. And I had the chance to meet with her. I, and she asked me, hey, what are you going to do after you finish med school? And I said, you know, I'm going to go and serve uh, village uh, vi uh, villagers and, and do village-based medicine and perhaps maybe um, even run, um, uh, run hospitals and clinics in those areas and serve the people. And she said, uh, have you ever thought about the scalability of your impact? And I said, what do you mean? And she says to me, well, you know, there are other ways to serve uh, people, and there are ways to serve millions of people, not just, uh, not just hundreds of people. And I said, do you explain? And she said, well, look, I'm a professor of medicine at Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, which is what she was, in neurosciences. And she said, I work um, on um, healthcare de-addiction efforts um, uh, through the USAID, um, and I actually work throughout Africa. That's, that's partly why I'm here in Mauritius. I'm actually working on helping people um, who are challenged with addiction problems and, and mental disease. And I said, well, how does that work? And she said, well, why don't you come to the United States, spend some time with me? Uh, and, and she said, are you interested in neurology? And I said, oh, goodness, I love neurology. And Uncle, you'll get a kick out of this. I uh, um, wanted to be a neurologist uh, first. Yeah, so so you know, I um, I was very good in medicine, um, and in those days, um, you know, uh, to be a neurologist was to be at the very top of your game because everything depended on your cognitive skills and your hands and your ability to diagnose. There were no advanced imaging <laughs> techniques in those days, so neurology it was. So she said, "Come on, uh, um, uh, come and visit with me and uh, uh, feel out uh, American medicine." And I'll show you how you can make a scalable impact in the world uh, through the medium of science. So I, <laughs> I decided to go uh, to Columbus, Ohio, um, after finishing my MBBS, which is the undergraduate medical degree uh, in India, the equivalent of the MD degree in the U.S., um, and um, after my internship, and um, and I, I I had planned to just go to Ohio State for just a couple of months uh, to serve as a sub-intern and to learn about how to do academic medicine. And I never left the United States because I became uh, so um, uh, passionately uh, 
challenged by the opportunities that uh, the pedestal in academic medicine offered people uh, that I decided to stay in the U in, in the U.S. And that's how I transitioned. Um, so uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the podcast is, is going to be started with uh, commonalities that we share, you know, from Simla to Mahatma Gandhi to, to Ohio, because, you know, just don't don't tell me, Uncle. Don't tell me that you also wanted to be a neurologist. No. That would that would just uh, kill me right now. No, 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 no. Never. I actually wanted to be a cardiothoracic surgeon, and you know, I changed my mind when I was in fourth year of medical school. I was just enamored by, um, you know, by by the problem sol solving capability of an of an internist. Um, and you know, <laughs> but as a smart as a smart structural interventionalist, uh, now you are part surgeon, uh, part physician, which is perhaps uh, the luckiest that anyone can be. Yeah, no, no, I, I actually, yeah, uh, no, I, I agree with you. I feel very grateful for what I do um, and um, the opportunities that I've been given in, in this life uh, to pursue. Um, you know, they they bring a lot of joy and satisfaction to me, but. You know, I brought up Ohio because, you know, that's where I have been over the past, um, I think, almost four years this summer in 2021. Uh, and um, so my, my question to you was, did you then do residency at Ohio State? Yeah, so I, I, I went to, um, I did my sub-internship at Ohio State in uh, neurology and neurosciences. And I have decided, Ankur, that I wanted to uh, basically uh, do uh, research in, uh, and you won't believe it, this is uh, the late 80s, and we were pl I was planning to do gene therapy work in Duchenne's muscular dystrophy at that time. That's what I decided. I said, I'm going to get a PhD in neurosciences. And so I got into that program. And then as I was doing my sub-internship, um, I uh, developed some mentors at uh, Ohio State who basically uh, said, you know, you're pretty good clinically. Um, why would you go into uh, research right off the bat? And and why neurology? You know, why don't you keep your options open? So I got influenced, and and it became very clear after I started uh, looking at the uh, clinical state of neurology in the mid to late eighties. Of course, as you might imagine, uh, there was a lot that you could do in charting the the natural history of disease, but not a lot that you could do in modifying the natural history of disease. And and you'll know that the 80s were perhaps the renaissance years when randomized clinical trials were in cardiovascular medicine were taking off with fervor. And uh, my colleagues at uh, now, my colleagues at the Brigham, like Mark Pfeffer and Gene Bronwald and others, um, had just... Uh, been trailblazing uh, in uh, doing clinical trials uh, and introducing uh, the transition point from symptom-directed medicine to disease-modifying therapy in cardiovascular medicine. So I became pretty excited, and I went ahead and did my internal medicine training in Columbus, Ohio, uh, and then um, transitioned to cardiovascular training in New Orleans at the Oxner Clinic. So, so um, cardiovascular disease fellowship at Oshner, and um, I now, I, now I mean this. I, I may be wrong at this, but uh, but correct me if I'm wrong. The uh, subspecialty fellowships into like advanced heart failure and transplant cardiology may not have been existential at the time you graduated, right? Uh, no, no, and I'll tell you. So, so I went. <laughs> <laughs> well, this uh, may get very interesting, but I, I went to uh, New Orleans um, 
um, on a whim. I was actually a chief resident, and so I was at the APTIM meeting in New Orleans, um, enjoying the French Quarter with other program directors and chief residents, when a call came, uh, and my wife uh, called me uh, from Columbus, Ohio, and she said, you know, I just got a call from a place called the Oxner Clinic, uh, and they'd like to interview you for cardiovascular medicine. So I said, hey, that's funny. I mean, I'm in New Orleans. All right, well, I'll go and interview. So I went in and uh, and interviewed, and um, and I was just so taken in by the patient-centered uh, culture, by the multi-specialty approach that this uh, institution had, and by their focus on patient-directed research questions that were then uh, answered through the medium of clinical research, and the fact that they were a full-service uh, group. So, so Ankur, uh, you'll, you'll understand that in those days, um, Chris White and Steve Ramey had just come to the Oxford Clinic, um, and um, you know them as, um, as, uh, as interventionalists uh, who have pushed the mantle of interventional cardiology, particularly peripheral vascular interventions, uh, like uh, no one has. And and Oxner was a full-service institution, and I, I got very attracted to that. And I said, you know, this might be a good place for me to do my fellowship. So I moved there, and I initially wanted to be an interventionalist. And so I negotiated a four-year potential program at the Oxner Clinic. And I said, look, uh, with the chief of cardiology there, and I said, look, you know, I'd like to also do my third and fourth year in intervention, um, uh, of which one year would be a lab-based uh, year in animal research. And so two years of clinical uh, cardiology. And, and, and they said, oh, okay. Um, and um, in my first year, uh, in, it was, I think, May of my uh, first year uh, that I began to um, uh, get a sense for what heart cardiac transplantation was. And my goodness, I completely veered into that direction. At College Serendipity, Ankur, um, my birth date is also uh, the birth date of heart transplantation. Uh, incidentally, <laughs> and uh, and and I got uh, I got directed into that, and and as you rightly pointed out, there's there was no fellowship at that time point. The field did not really exist, other than as a clinical service at that time point, um, and I. Um, uh, really liked it, and I sat down with uh, my mentors there, and I said, you know, I'd like to craft a training program for myself. So after my first year of cardiovascular medicine, my second year was actually a specialty year in advanced uh, um, uh, heart disease and uh, cardiac transplantation-based medicine. I did six months of uh, basic science research in uh, transplant medicine and six months of a fellowship in my second year of fellowship. And in my third year, I continued a clinical year. And so I then uh, graduated my cardiology fellowship predominantly as an advanced heart failure expert. And then I stayed on at the Oxner Clinic right after uh, they were flexible enough to allow me to train um, in the field that I uh, consequently began to love. And then we um, uh, uh, were able to really focus uh, my clinical research, not only on cardiac transplantation, um, but we tried to move the field of advanced heart failure forward at the same time. Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's fascinating. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer in, uh, in spirituality and 
and uh, you know ways um, of the universe and you know I, it just just listening through your story i mean i, I mean, you you were just meant to be an advanced heart failure you know expert and a transplant cardiologist you know just the way you know the the stars and the lined up for you the universe conspired for you you know i mean it was probably written up that you know you you were meant to be uh, you know one of the you know pioneering leaders in in the field of uh, transplant cardiovascular medicine well, I appreciate you saying that, Ankur, but, uh, you, you know, uh, the field was quite nascent at that time point, and the challenges uh, which still exist were many, and but they were very exciting. And uh, I'll tell you one thing that really veered me in that direction was that uh, I, I could sense that cardiology was fractionating itself um, back in the 90s into these silos of electrophysiologic medicine and interventional uh, cardiology cardiology and echo-based non-invasive cardiology and heart failure management and heart failure at that time point still continued to stoke uh, my uh, cognitive uh, nature of uh, providing holistic uh, care that was not just physical-based care, but also focusing on the social uh, aspects of disease and on the economic aspects of disease and on um, uh, taking uh, innovation to a level of uh, real creativity in pushing the mantle in helping the sickest of the sick. So, so that was one of the things that truly, truly attracted me to that field, and it still continues to inspire me every day. Yeah. So, so after, so after having spent time at at Austral Clinic uh, for you know, um, I don't know how many years. Um, what was the uh, how was the journey then into Brigham and Women's? Yeah, so 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 there so so I you know I I look at my journey in three phases of course. So my first formative phase um, was really at the Ochsner Clinic where I became an advanced heart failure expert. And during that time, um, you know, in partnership with my interventional colleagues like Dr. White and Hector Ventura and uh, other wonderful colleagues, uh, I basically uh, really moved. Um, uh, the clinical research portfolio with uh, transplant-based research, particularly uh, looking at the notion of cardiac allograft vasculopathy. During that time point, we also, um, uh, on the advanced heart failure side, uh, discovered uh, what is now known as the obesity paradox. And we did some um, uh, early natritic peptide research where we, in fact, uh, showed the uh, for the first time the suppression of uh, BNP in obese patients, which now is considered a norm. So, you, you know, it was a very, very exciting time. And one of the mentors at the Clinic was Ed Froelich, uh, and who and Ed Froelich, as you know, was a hypertension uh, expert and perhaps uh, one of the loveliest uh, mentors that one could ever have. Um, Ed Froelich's mentors um, are people like Hector Ventura, but also people like Mark and Janice Pfeffer who are at the Brigham. And so I enjoy that uh, lineage of continuity in mentorship um, through the uh, basking influence of such colleagues. But I'll tell you that um, 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 the decade at the uh, Auctioner Clinic was fantastic. I said, I think I, I could do more. Around that time point, uh, the challenges in academic medicine were many. Um, people um, were seeing uh, the fracture of uh, the uh, true academic model of medicine, 
um, in, in terms of um, uh, in terms of RVUs and the insurability and cardiology was no longer the traditional cash cow in those days, and insurance challenges were really challenging the very mission-based capability of academic medical centers to perform um, their um, uh, protective mechanisms in education and research. And so I then said, you know, maybe I should go in and be a chief of cardiology somewhere. So my second phase was actually in Baltimore, Maryland, that uh, you may not know about. Uh, so after 10 years at the Oxner Clinic, um, I spent seven years uh, at University of Maryland School of Medicine as chief of cardiology. And, um, uh, and and it was there that I focused on uh, building uh, building a value-based service. Uh, how do you connect with the community through academic uh, um, activity? How do you, in fact, mentor and build people uh, in, into your legacy format, your trainees? Uh, and so that was a very, very uh, enriching second phase of my career where I focused on building and preserving and protecting the academic mission. It was around that time point. Uh, one has to, as you might imagine, Ankur, sacrifice some elements. So the element that got sacrificed was, uh, was my ability to really focus on um, relentless um, uh, output in uh, clinical research, uh, you know, at a time like this. So what did I do? Well, I chose at that point to pivot uh, to uh, two things. One was to help uh, direct uh, national and international societies. And so I actually moved my um, uh, my concentration to the ISHLT, the International Society for Heart and Lung Transplantation, which I was well connected with through my Oxner days um, and uh, served as president of that society and, of course, subsequently as president of the Heart Failure Society of America. So these two societies that I basically uh, began to contribute to in terms of uh, uh, seeing the field move forward. And then I thought that uh, if I can't really spend time in developing a laboratory, et cetera, maybe I could uh, be uh, someone who could patron, uh, be a patron of the scientific voice of a community. And that's where the Journal of Heart and Lung Transplantation fell into my lap. Uh, so after I finished my presidency of the International Society for Heart and Lung Transplantation, I took on the mantle of uh, editing the Journal of Heart and Lung Transplantation, which uh, uh, was at that time point a great uh, voice in transplantation. But I was very fortunate to build it into the number one uh, transplant journal in the world and perhaps one of the top three surgical journals in the world and a top 10 cardiovascular journal in the world and a top five respiratory journal in the world over the last decade. So that was my second phase before I actually transitioned to the Brigham and Women's Hospital and for Yes, you know, I, it's, uh, you know, for, for someone like myself whose uh, early career, you know, there are several points um, of education, you know, looking at, looking at your journey and, um, you know, looking at how important it is to be, to be flexible, how important it is to, um, you know, to, to basically, the, so the, 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 the overarching lesson is, and, you know, the, and, and this is a lesson that I sort of remind myself every day is, um, is, you know, I get up every, every day in the morning and, 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 you know, say, I say to myself, you know, opportunity is where you are. Um, so, you know, because, you know, I, I hear a lot of people, you know, um, you know, friends and some, some of the senior colleagues, some of the junior colleagues, 
uh, you know, because I, I think at any point in time, and you know, and we've discussed this in in, in this podcast, uh, you know, with other speakers, you know, the, the the journey and the career in medicine is is so long that at any given point in time, you could either be a mentee or you could be a mentor. I mean, you basically wear both those hats, right? You are both a mentee and a mentor. So, um, and you know, so I've I've heard that, you know, I've I've heard several people say, you know, I'll, I'll probably wait till I I'll probably wait to, you know, sort of launch this initiative of mine or sort of, you know, do X, Y, or Z when I'm at X, Y, or Z place. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I, I, I have built, you know, whatever I've built, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm still in the very early constructive phases of my career, but whatever I've built so far has, has been sort of, based on the principle that opportunity is where you are and you know it's 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 heartwarming to to hear you recite your journey because your journey is studded with moments like these right i mean you 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 converted every opportunity uh, every um position of yours into you, you know, a building block into an opportunity where you contributed to the field and you, you brought something novel, uh, or you, or you, you, you kept building, you know, you, you built a division in, uh, in Maryland, and then you, you build a journal of heart and lung transplantation when you were with the society. So, um, and you, you built, you built your career as a clinician, academician when you were at, at Oshner. So, uh, you know, all these time points, I mean, you were in, you were constantly building and building and building. You know, meaning that you you said to yourself, I mean, you know, I think the most important conversation is the conversation you have with yourself every day. And, you know, you probably had this conversation that, look, you know, this is where the opportunity is and I'll, I'll make the best of it. Well, you know, you, you couldn't have said it uh, better, uh, Ankur, and I hope that your listeners uh, really listen to the deep philosophy that you pointed out. And I'll, I'll summarize it in the form that, uh, you know, there are, there are just three things that people look at. You know, they think about the past, present, and the future. And really, uh, there's no such thing as the past, present, and future. What it is is, is, is really a memory, which is your past, your experience, which is your present, and your imagination, which is your future. And the challenge is that the, the memory uh, should be pleasant because it helps guide you in the future. Imagination is good uh, and it gives you some inspiration, but it's, it limits you. And so really your focus should be on your experience and in your present. And if you waste your experience in your present, you have basically wasted everything. If you simply wait to imagine the future, which many people do, and you use your present to simply live in, in imagination, you are wasting your current experience. So you have to move forward in your present moment, which is all you really have in reality. And, and that's essentially what you've said. And if you just think about these three phases, you know, where, where I, I spent my time at, at, at New Orleans and then I uh, looked at building uh, enterprises and the scientific voice and societies and networking are, are, are across the globe in my second phase. And then my third phase, I decided that it was time for me to continue to grow intellectually. And when the opportunity to move to an unbelievable place like the Brigham, uh, which uh, has the greatest wealth of intellectual talent uh, comes along, one has to seize that moment. And I seized it. Um, and um, 
uh, and I've never regretted it because uh, intellectually, Ankur, uh, the uh, amount of growth that one can experience at a place like that with the kind of mentors that uh, I have access to and the people that I have a chance to mentor um, are extraordinary. So, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, uh, you know, you, you said something very important and you said that, uh, you know, um, uh, people um, are always in this uh, sort of flux between mentor and mentee. I'll just tell you that you could be as as old as you uh, you are, and you you are still a in need of a mentor. Even today, um, uh, you, you know, I mentor a lot of people people in early phases of their career, people in mid phases of their career, people in senior phases of their career. But um, I am also a, a, a mentee of uh, a number of wonderful people like Jean Brunwald, Mark Pfeffer, Peter Libby, uh, Elizabeth Nabel, Joel Oscalzo. I, I go to them on a regular basis. These are the people who have formed the thoughts in my mind. They help my, uh, my present uh, be a more uplifting present. Uh, present the experience that I can bring to to where I go, uh, how I take myself forward, is really a formation from uh, from the intellectual uh, conversations that I have with these individuals and how they see the world and how they see me in that world and how they see me scaling my contributions to that world. So you have actually philosophically provided incredible insight, uh, Ankur, and, and these nuggets that you have already matured into understanding will carry you to the great, great heights in academic medicine. Oh, no, th thanks for the kind words. You know, I'm, I, I, I hope I deserve them. You know, I, was, I, I just try, you know, I, I, I look at people's careers, you know, to, to seek inspiration and um, you know, you know, obviously spirituality and, and the, uh, the, the spiritual principles of the universe are obviously very inspiring. So I just try to, you know, piece it together, you know, for myself, you know, I'm, when I'm, when I'm saying these things out loud, uh, you know, not, not only are these for the listenership, but that they're also a reminder for me, uh, as to, you know, how I would want to lead a life and, and develop a career. Um, so, so Dr. Mehra, I mean, this has been a great conversation and, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, incredible successes and, you know, moments that you created into, uh, you know, unique opportunities for yourself to, to then, you know, form these building blocks. I'm sure you, you would have experienced, uh, you know, some incredible challenges, you know, through this, uh, through, through the journey. And uh, my, my question to you is, you know, not, not, not for a particular challenge per se, but, you know, overall, uh, you know, challenges and, and hurdles and, and failures. How do you deal with them on a um, at a personal level, and yeah, uh, how, how do you how do you sort of uh, you know recalibrate yourself? Look, uh, Ankur, I don't look at life as a series of successes or failures. If you start to do that, um, uh, then 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 you basically uh, look at life in either optimism or pessimism, and 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 people who do that. Um, live a very dichotomous life, and they, in fact, then take their um, uh, optimism and poison it with their pessimism. Um, I don't do that. Um, I keep moving forward. Um, I um, have a very strong belief that uh, my, my experience and my uh, forward movement is all that is real. Uh, everything in the past is an experience from which I have to learn. Uh, it, it's a memory. And that memory should inform my decisions, which should become better as we grow forward, and that I should not be limited by my imagination. 
So yeah, have I have I experienced challenges in my life? Of course, uh, there are so many challenges. You have you have challenges as you're moving an academic career uh, on your uh, on your life. Um, you know things things challenge you. I lost my mother in my arms in New Orleans uh, in 2004. You can imagine a hotshot academic cardiologist and his mother uh, comes in, knocks on the door at uh, 5 a.m. in the morning and says, um, "I'm feeling a little discomfort in the chest," and I'm thinking. Uh, this is uh, some indigestion. What did you eat last night, mom? And and as I utter those words, she basically falls to the ground and requires resuscitation in my hands. And I try to resuscitate her, and I can't. Um, and I, uh, uh, you know, you know uh, I got hit really hard. Um, I could have gone into a deep depression from that, but no, uh, well, I chose to try and recreate uh, some of the uh, hidden uh, symptoms that she was expressing over the previous few weeks um, before this happened. And I learned uh, how to pick up uh, heart disease in women um, as a consequence of that. So, you know, every everything that's, uh, that you one would think of as a negative event, I've given you just one example, and I have so many in my life uh, that I've been challenged with where I've wanted to do good, and um, uh, the outcome has not always been uh, favorable and not, not always been good. But as long as I can uh, be righteous, as long as I can maintain the highest levels of my integrity, as long as I can learn from those uh, episodes, I continue to move forward. Um, and I continue to make the best of it. And I continue to uh, see um, see forward thinking. I therefore don't look at it as success or failure at all, Ankur. I don't look at the world in a dichotomous manner. Yeah. So again, I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep tying these to to the spiritual uh, you know lessons that I have learned, or I I, can, I keep reminding myself, and that is uh, the 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 foundational principle of the Bhagavad Gita. You know, in the, the Bhagavad Gita says that you have to learn to live a life of equanimity uh, and not identify yourself with either success or failure based on what the results of our actions are because you know the, the same action which could be a very positive result for x y or z could be a, a, an extremely negative result for someone else and you may get praises for the same action by those who uh, who think the action is positive and you, you know you'll get uh, uh, you'll get a lot of criticism from those who think that the action is negative but in in all of it in in all of it you don't have to change who you are you 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 don't have to identify yourself either with the you know the the positive connotation or the negative connotation you as you know as as you very eloquently said you know just keep moving forward and as long as you in the heart of hearts know that you know you you've done uh, you've stood by what's right and you 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 are moving in the right direction and continuing to do the work that you've you've been born to do which you know which in in hindi or, or in the language of the gita we call dharma uh, then then you know then then you're fine then you're, you're going to be fine you know you you, you have expressed uh, a lesson in spirituality but that same lesson in spirituality was expressed by one of the world leaders uh, in medicine the person who brought uh, medical training uh, to its current formation sir william osler who you might remember wrote a book uh, called aquanimitas and aquanimitas, um, when translated from Latin into English, means unflappability. 
And, and he believed that the most important attribute of a successful physician is unflappability. Unflappability during failure and unflappability during periods of ecstasy that we sometimes face, which we call success, and, um, um, and unflappability during any crisis. And, and I think that uh, perhaps uh, he was um, enlightened enough in the same manner as you are enlightened enough to have expressed um, uh, from one of the most uh, important celestial songs uh, in Indian uh, spirituality, the Gita, which is basically a celestial song. Uh, if translated uh, into English. And you have uh, expressed that so very well as a form of aquanimitas, which is the principle by which we should all uphold our values in medicine. Yeah, no, it's, um, it, it's, it's been a great conversation, Dr. Mary. It's been, it's been absolutely fascinating to have you on the show. Um, uh, you know, we've, uh, it's, it's been, it's, 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 it's just been, uh, you know, a, a conversation that I've deeply enjoyed. Um, you know, the, the questions just kept, just kept coming to me and I just kept asking that it's been, it's been that, that kind of a flow for the conversation. Um, any closing thoughts, any closing remarks, uh, from you? Well, I want to thank you for this opportunity, Ankur. I want to thank you for uh, upholding these uh, values in the spirit of medicine um, for our readers and listeners and uh, everyone around the globe during a time when uh, when we face uh, challenges in economics, challenges in politics, challenges in science. And there is no, no place where we have not seen a challenge, but what... Uh, what this time has uh, taught us is to internalize um, our thoughts and spend some time with our own minds. We often don't spend time with our own minds. We, we, we tend to focus on our body a little bit. Uh, some people don't, some do, um, but we almost never focus on our minds. And if, if there's one thing that I would uh, encourage people to do uh, and uh, to take a lesson from what you've said, is that we need to exercise our minds on a regular basis and in a healthy manner. Otherwise, um, um, otherwise uh, we will become victims uh, to the challenges of the world, and we need to rise well above that. And I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to speak to your uh, audience, and I hope that... Uh, um, I hope that I uh, continue to learn from people like you uh, and from my mentors who uh, continue to intellectually uh, push me to greater levels of excellence, uh, things that I don't even wish to imagine because imagination is simply a deterrent in understanding the uh, great potential of humanity. Thanks again for your time. Thanks so much. cardiologists we want to make this podcast about you and for you so please email us your critical thoughts comments and questions at podcast at radcliffe-group.com and visit uscjournal.com for more information you can also follow us on twitter linkedin facebook and instagram at radcliffe cardiology for daily updates Join thousands of cardiologists and become a radcliffian by registering to radcliffecardiology.com you will receive regular newsletters and gain access to hundreds of expert interviews, educational webinars, clinical cases, and peer-reviewed articles from our six medical review journals on general cardiology, interventional cardiology, arrhythmia and electrophysiology, cardiac failure, and vascular and endovascular surgery. 
Thank you.